It's time for To The Last Drop podcast with Liam Delcom and Brendan Nell. There's a reason why this episode's a bit longer. Liam, we had a fabulous bottle of wine the other day with a, a very special guest who you're going to hear, or two special guests. Two special guests. The one, uh, well, both of them, but they collaborated on a book. The one guy's name is Rassi Erasmus and the esteemed uh, broadcaster and writer David O'Sullivan. We sat down with him, enjoyed a bottle of wine and um, spoke rugby for, yeah. for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, we're back, and um, we're sitting in a lovely place that Liam's found for us, drinking a bottle of Malbec. We found Malbec this week, and uh, around us, Springbok fans seem to think that the world's um, gone to to the pits because the box just won by one point at this park. Uh, no, it hasn't gone to the pits. Uh, there's a big tournament to prepare for, and coaches need to chop and change. Uh, there's obviously a, a number of changes made before the last test. And, of course, if we look at the team that plays Argentina this weekend, Buenos Aires test, uh, I think there's a lot of changes there as well. I mean, if you if you look at what, what, we, what we have in store in the starting line Yeah, I think there would have probably been some thought about going uh, into... Uh, trying to keep some continuity, but I think after this we'll probably see it much closer to the strongest team. This is very much a selection to give, um, to, to almost button down numbers 21 to 33 probably yeah. in, in the group, and uh, yeah, not many coaches would be that bold to do that given mm. the pressure of losing one game and then winning a game at home by one point. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think we go to that. And the, the surprise of it all, Bongi Mbandambi as captain. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I would have thought, given uh, when we speculated about captains after it was clear that Sia wasn't going to be involved in the rugby championships and possibly uh, in the games after that, um, in, 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 none of us, I don't think, um, predicted that Bongi would captain in one of these games. But here he is, uh, will be South Africa's captain on Saturday in his 60th test. Um, and obviously, he has been a regular, has been a, become a stalwart, uh, sort of a go-to player. Uh, for the box and um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how he how he warms to the task because we haven't really seen him in that role yeah and I, I mean I've, I've watched Bongi since he was a junior and um, you know, he, I, as far as I know he's never captained before in any other any other provincial team or mm. any other level that I know of so obviously the box have seen uh, something in them and I suppose all we can say is as we drink this bottle of Finca Las Moras Malbec from Mendoza cheers Bongi Cheers, Bongi, and uh, you will need the sound for that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because he is a uh, he, he can be a fiery character sometimes, which uh, is not necessarily the worst thing for a captain. You need to be calm and level-headed. Uh, he's certainly um, endowed with endowed with those with those qualities, um, and he, he will certainly try and lead from the front. I have no doubt. Um, there are a couple of other selections, or let's say, put it this way, like a couple of other omissions. Uh, that's slightly surprising. There's no Jaden Hendrickser. We're not sure what his injury status is. We know he also had the family bereavement not, not so long ago. But one would have thought this would be a game where he would see some action to at least give him some game time. Uh, this year, because the last time he played would have been uh, would have been last year. Yeah, and, and that's quite interesting. And I mean, if if you look at look at the the selection all round, most of the selections that they made this week are players who haven't had much game time. Yeah. And to throw them into the cauldron of Buenos Aires, which is not going to be, especially after last week, <laughs> is not going to be a friendly place for Springbok players. Um, yeah, the Bok the Bok management are pretty much saying, listen, yeah, this is the challenge. Mm. Show us what fire is in your belly. Yeah, I have. To 
to say that Argentina is probably the only country that I've toured where I felt uh, for my personal safety <laughs> sitting in a press box. Um, that was in Tucumán many years ago. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think after last week's result, there will be um, there'll be fervent support for the local team from the from the terraces uh, this weekend. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody in that squad that you, if you if you go from the viewpoint that um, yeah this is a team that's been picked to give everybody that hasn't got got a chance a chance and and to, to give game time to those who've had very little uh, yeah this is the, there's not really too many you can quibble about I thought maybe the, the box might have looked at Dion Faria's captain just in terms of the the skulk Brits sort of effect from the last World Cup mm. they have that guy for the midweek game but uh, doesn't look like that they went that way I mean it's, it's still very interesting. Bongi. Uh, there's no real other selections that really surprised me. I think we sort of expected most of them. You got the impression with them when the debate raged, you know, when Sia was not available, that they almost played down the whole captaincy thing. They almost like it was a case of like, look, Sia's our captain, he's going to come back and he'll take the, the, the reins again. So it actually doesn't really matter who, who takes the, the captaincy armband uh, in, in his absence. So, um, and I suppose this selection sort of feeds into that. I think people need to understand as well that most modern teams now work from a, a senior group. There, there are different spots on the field that, uh, yeah, there's a, scr- a scrum leader for a team, there's a line-out leader for a team, there's a defence leader, there's yeah, there's a tack leader. So the, the, the captain is really the guy that talks to the ref, and that's basically it. I, I must admit, if I'm the ref, there's a few less menacing people that could be in your face than Bongi. I mean, he does, uh, he does have a, a face that only a mother can love, and uh, you know, he, he is a, he's a beautiful guy, and uh, yeah, I think uh, he could intimidate a couple of refs. Um, and if you look at the rest of that team, as you pointed out earlier, uh, there's a couple of guys who need to put um, hand up and sort of uh, show what they're worth mm-hmm. in the last test before the team uh, or the squad gets selected for, or is announced for World Cup. Um, there are a couple of fringe guys, and, and let's be honest i mean they if they don't perform in this one they're probably not going to make it yeah no i agree they, they, there's probably got, you're looking about six or seven guys are probably going to get cut mm. and if you look at a couple of these guys a guy like herschel yankees i think is in mm. real danger of missing out i think guy like jean-luc dupria probably is on the fringes as well um yeah there, there's the the, the the interesting one's going to be the scrum off who they take yeah between them the other the other interesting point is no elton yankees um, yeah, well, he was cut from the from the group. He yeah. didn't even travel. Yeah. So I mean, that's the thing. Is that the end of his book career? I suppose there's a lot of people who didn't believe he should be back here anyway after the several incidents that he played out in his life last year. But um, yeah, it, I think it's quite a genuine genuine thing from the box to show exactly Marnie Lebok is their their second flight. Nothing wrong with the second course, Brendan, in the case of Elton Yankees. I mean, everybody, second chances are, you know. Just... True, true. I mean, uh, I'm sure everybody deserves a second chance. I, I don't mind that. I, just not this time around, I suppose. Uh, I think he's going to have to go back to Pau in, in France at some. Uh, although that's not, there are worse places to be in the world than Pau. Just, on, just one other thing. I mean, I mean, we, we saw this last week. We look back at the test at this park, and there's a lot of things uh, you can say about that test and how bad the box played. In fact, what struck me the most was, as I was walking out of this park, um, one of the Bok management came past me and, and I said, I said uh, tough game, you know, just giving him sort of like saying hello, basically. And he said, nah, we played cock. We played cock. <laughs> and and I, mean, I think that's the only way we can really save up that game. Uh, interesting from Jacques, you know, at the, the press conference, that's something I picked up as well, where he said Argentina were great at, uh, at controlling the game between the two 10-meter lines. Yeah. <laughs> but not necessarily be a game that you can win the World Cup. And I think that's where we're seeing the box trying to 
to get to. They're trying to get to that next step above that just gives them something mm. a bit extra, a bit extra factor to win those tough games. Yeah, I mean, if you look at how they won the World Cup in 2019, uh, they obviously would have had to have a look at what is around them. What do they need to do? Which boxes do they need to tick to get the job done? The game has evolved since 2019. They can still play to their traditional strengths, but they need to offer a little bit more. Um, those traditional strengths are still there. No doubt. Uh, but I, I suspect they would have to have possession uh, a lot more. Um, if you if you play the All Blacks, for instance, you can't just let them have the ball because they will find ways of hurting well, you. Well, not just the All Blacks, France. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you just think France in full song, you don't want them to have the ball. Mm. So you want to keep the ball away from them. So, yeah, we've always uh, been a team that that's, uh, that it's done very well without the ball. We're trying to learn to have the ball. I suppose we've always been in the gutters. Uh, yep. It's trying to now just be, yeah, trying to drag ourselves up and dress up nicely. Yeah. And speaking of gutters, I mean, last week's win was pretty much um, one that was, uh, yeah, in the gutters. And I suspect this one, the next game, will pretty much be played out um, in similar terrain. Because, and, and to be fair, I mean, it, it's probably the kind of preparation you want ahead of a World Cup anyway. You know, you need to find ways of winning games when it gets tight. Uh, you need to get uh, uh, players who are composed, players who can be calm, players who can make good decisions under pressure situations. And, uh, you know, I, I suspect Argentina is going to push us in that direction again this week. Yeah, I think that's about it for us now. We're going to enjoy this bottle of Malbec. We're sitting at this wonderful restaurant, Shea uh, Argentinian Grill in Rosebank. That's where we're recording this right now. But we, we're going to leave you with a treat. There's a reason why this episode's a bit longer. Liam, we had a fabulous bottle of wine the other day with uh, a very special guest. Who are you going to hear? Or two special guests? Two special guests. The one, uh, well, both of them, but they collaborated on a book. The one guy's name is Rassi Rasmus. And the, uh, the bloke who wrote it with him was the esteemed uh, broadcaster and writer David O'Sullivan. So they very kindly gave an hour of their time and uh, we sat down with them, enjoyed a bottle of wine and um, spoke rugby for, yeah, for a long time. And the hour went by so quickly. So we've split it into two. You're going to hear the second part next week in the pod as well. But yeah, sit back, enjoy, enjoy it as well. And uh, we did ask Rusky one or two tough questions. Uh, yeah, have a listen and tell us what you think. Enjoy. You're with Brendan Nell and Liam Delcom on the To The Last Drop podcast. Today we have two great guests here. We've got Rusty Rasmus, needs no introduction. And David Sullivan, who wrote Rusty's book with him. And yeah, we're here to talk about his book. I think I'll kick off with the first question for Rusty. Um, why the book? It was nice to see you guys. We've come a long way. <laughs> I'm not a big book reader. After speaking to David, and I thought, oh, when you're not relevant anymore and you, you hope to see something keep going on, you probably afterwards will be a little bit too late uh, if you tell people now while you're still in it. Uh, some of the good work may continue and some of the mistakes I made we might erase and, and go better forward. And uh, that's both in personal and in rugby life. You always strike me as somebody when you were still playing that... Um of all the players, maybe all the coaches, uh, that you were probably the least likely to write a book. So something must have happened sort of in between there. Um, was there any specific moment where you thought, okay, you know what, I'll flip the switch? No, no I think uh, if she asked me uh, two years ago, uh, I, I would agree. I'm the least likeliest guy to, to I don't read a lot of books, uh, but certainly the way they explained to me what they want to uh, 
the train, get out of the book. Uh, when I understood that and when we had agreement, listen, you know, we do this book and if it doesn't come out the way you want it to come out, we just bin it. Mm. Uh, that that made me really comfortable. And I mean, then I trusted David right from the beginning and we just played open cards. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, the way David wrote it was almost me telling the story and exactly how I think I would want to tell it. Yeah. And I'm not trying to win over friends. Uh, I'm trying to be told of Arik, the truth, mm. and just get another side to all the good and the controversial and the bad things that happened. We could probably ask David as well. I mean, the, the element of, I mean, with most books, there's the need to, to sell the thing. Yeah. So to, to what extent was it a balancing act where you, there's, there's the sex and the rock and roll, but there's also this wonderful character and, and name and, and rock legend that you sort of um, need to put up in lights. So what uh, for me, what happened was that I, I had a perception of Rassi. Um, and then when I met him for the first time, we met at uh, the Grendel wine farm uh, in Durbanville. And the image after three hours of conversation, which went like that, I, I realized that actually didn't, I had the wrong impression of him. He's actually this very shy, quiet, introverted person. And that's actually, and he was at pains to say to me, people always misjudge me. They always get me wrong. They think they know me, but they actually don't know me. And it became the opening part of the book that this isn't the person you think it is. And now we're going to tell you the real story. But in order to get that real story, uh, I said to Rossi, let's talk about everything. Let's do the controversies. Let's do all the emotional stuff. And only afterwards we'll look and say what are you bearing your soul too much? Do you feel that no, that's something that's too private? Uh, I don't want that in the book. Mm. And as it turned out, all of the stuff went into the book. Did you at any point say, oh, no, we can't write that? There was never... There, I'd said to Rossi a few times, I'll fight you if you take this part out. But it was never a case of him saying, well, actually, let's have a discussion about it. All the emotional stuff, the stuff about his childhood, his upbringing, um, the video, the, the bannings... All of that stuff, uh, Rossi was very happy for us to keep it in as, as it was. Um, and I felt that he sometimes, it was almost oversharing. But I don't think anybody who says, oh, you've missed something, I'm saying, actually, we haven't. That's all there is to it. If you feel there's more to it, then your information is wrong. Well, then you, then it's a cons- you're part of a conspiracy theory about things. Well, I suppose, I mean, it's like anything in life. I mean, you can always... If you start, start talking about anything, you can go on down a rabbit hole into for hours and hours on a certain subject. But I mean, at the end of the day, the essence of the story is what what's, what matters. Yeah. But to, to your point, Liam, about um, we're going to sell the book the whole time because I'm a journalist. I'm going, where's the where's the headline? Where's Liam Delcom's headline that makes this on the front page of the Sunday Times as the lead? I don't feel that there ever was something as earth-shattering that would provoke mm. a big who and a, a cry. But I think the frankness and the honesty of Rossi in the way he's confronted some of the bigger moments of his life is in itself the is, 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 is at the heart of this book. The selling point of almost, yeah. Yeah, it, it's because it is just so frank and honest. Mm. But there was, I mean, I often get people saying, oh, you're going to write about the politics. All the politics Rossi was, had to deal with. And there isn't politics because there wasn't any. Mm. And I know people will, and we even wrote this line, people will read this and say, oh, bullshit. 
Because it's become the popular myth, isn't it, that mm. Rossi was told to pick black players. He was told to pick Sierra Khaleesi. He was told that black players need to be in. He was told he was forced to do quotas. None of that is actually true. The real story is in the book, how it happened. And it's a wonderful story of a process that Rossi started long before he became the coach. The Elite Players Development Pathway, the EPD, I feel, is at the core of this book and the way he nurtured, identified and nurtured young players. So when the Kanyu Am, Mapimpi, Chesler, those guys are now playing for the Springboks, it's not the first time he saw them in 2018. He saw them when they were kids. Yeah. That's the important. He saw Sia when Sia was a lighty. Mm. That's why he was able to pick them. I remember saying to um, to Rossi, when you picked your World Cup squad, did you then count players to make sure you got your racial quota, racial balance right? He looked at me like I was mad. He said, no, John, I did it all mm. for years. I didn't have to look at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the thing is, if I can add to that, um, uh, the EPD is really something that we're really proud of. And I think it was just after 2011 when I was put down our performance manager. Uh, that was one of the things, listen, let, let's find a pathway for players, especially uh, black players, into the system. And, and the thing was build around, and he, he explained it really good in the book. But the thing that makes me happy about the old EPD path because another first thing people will say, oh, if you not weren't in this squad under 15 or under 16, what about the guys, the outliers? But Mapimpi is an exact example. Mm. He was 29 and as the Moby unit, we found, and we, of course, we started the Moby unit as well, we found him in Border when, when Border was under administration and look on your arm. A guy like Kirtley Aronson, because we have got scouts everywhere, Sean Rufo and me up and say, hey, there's a lighty here playing. I mean, he, he's not a boy anymore. He's not, he's not a lighty anymore. But then there's the typical of someone more the, the typical guys, Jaden Hendricks, who's come from under 15. They've been in the squads. We know them. There's the roadmap on every single one of them. So, and that's why you're saying, why the book now? Because, you know, if that doesn't keep going, Mm. Uh, 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 and people don't understand it and they don't go and read how it actually works because um, you know, people like to call transformation black in, white out but for us transformation is change we have to change something and if we don't change the way we started with under 15 boys how do our SA schools team and our junior Springboks team, how will they be representative and eventually the Springbok team so uh, yes, I'm glad that the EBD system worked but it didn't Filter so much that the outlier who was maybe injured or didn't make the Craven Week side doesn't have a way back into the system like a Mapimpi at 29. Mapimpi turned 34 yesterday, uh, <laughs> if, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. But what I liked about um, the way Rossi explained how this worked was that. Um, they would always be looking at players um, and with these roadmaps, which are so important. So there would be a skill set that you had to have by a certain age, passing left or right, you know, these rugby abilities. But it went further than that. It went about your mental approach. Are you, and Rusty explains it, are you vindkat? Are you entitled? Mm. So you could be the most brilliant player, but if you were an arsehole, you weren't getting the look in that you should. So all of these factors, it wasn't just the physical abilities, it was the mental ability that was also adjudicated. Mm-hmm. So somebody suddenly thinks he's, he's, um, he's the main guy, 
Mm. Um, no, suddenly you're not the main guy. And and the person who is struggling his way through and has got the same abilities as you, he's now mm. got the front foot over you. And I love the way that these were all adjudicated, all judged, all all these factors were brought to bear. Yeah. I, I would ask, um, Rossi, how, how frustrating is it for you? I mean, um, there's so many stereotypes in SRP. I mean, you you played your whole career through them. You talked about quotas now and, and things like that. Um, but not just that. And stereotypes in the way South Africa plays, stereotypes in, in where we are in world rugby, stereotypes. There's, there's so many of these things around. And you, I mean, what your one hat is, you say, director of rugby as well, is to change these stereotypes. So how frustrating has that been for you in terms of, Changing those stereotypes. Before you answer that, I mean, it's it's a, another way of maybe putting it is, and I don't want you to sort of come up with a Nick Mallet moment where you talk yourself out of a job. But <laughs> I have essay around the, the messaging around transformation. Could they have done a better job over the year? Um, oh, I've been there since 2011. You know, but it goes back. Yeah, it goes back, back years. And, and I think, um, I, uh, I, when I say this, people don't say, Wow, you're trying to picture yourself that you were part of everything. But because I was born in 72, uh, when I was 20, when I was in the army in the second year, it was 1992. It was when things changed in South Africa. So I was a fan of the 1995 team. I started playing for the box in 96. So I experienced as a player when Rian Oberold the first meeting he had there before the, I think the Wales test was a Dion Kaiser and, and, and somebody, I can't remember. Right. Yeah, Dion, Dion in and Stefan out or something like that. I can't remember exactly. So I was a player then and then when Chester came in and Laurie Maines came across and then the game went professional and we got professional contracts and I went to the Lions. So then the game became fully professional. We got decent contracts. You know, we were even there when Packett tried to take over into uh, 1996 when he signed all of those guys. So my era was just uh, fan, player, semi-professional, professional, went into a quota, they called it quotas, when they called it transformation, when they called it targets. But the big thing was always, I was either there as a captain, seeing a person being embarrassed, so uh, either a black player that's been called a quota, being embarrassed, or a white player that's left out because a quota player took his place. So, you know, you experience those things as a captain when you have to do a team talk and you have to get guys up and you see, but shit, this doesn't work. So, uh, and that goes on when the franchises came in, when I was with the Cheetahs, when I stopped playing, and then we got franchise rugby and from Super 10 rugby, I still played. So, uh, the thing is, you, you live through all of those things, and by that, I don't say I've got the knowledge, but I've certainly seen all the mistakes. And I can't point fingers at SRA because I was part of those mistakes, part of things that people didn't maybe do the right way. But I think, and that's why the book, I think we're now at a stage where we as the rugby, rugby can work. You know, rugby can keep on working. I mean, uh, be successful, not just on the field mm-hmm. scoreboard, but it, it can be one of the things that work. But then we shouldn't park the things that working currently and stop doing it because you will still need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... The big thing is uh, transformation is change. It's not 
black in and white out. Mm. And I think that's the that's the thing. The immediate thing when you talk about transformation in South Africa, everybody goes like that. If you talk about transformation in any other sentence in any other country in the mm. world, it means change. Mm. But in us, it's it's got this. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't say. I say all of us made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, fair enough. I, I was. I actually had the discussion with somebody the other day about this, about how we squander those moments. And mm. you talked about those moments now. I mean, I think in 2019, um, and I know it's probably a, a large part of it's in the book, and we've seen it on Chasing the Sun and, and places like that. It's probably the f- closest we've come to using those moments that we create in this country that are so amazing. The 95 team did it, 2017 did it, your team did it. Yeah, that, that amazing, amazing sort of unity in this country that we can create with the Springboks. But every time in 95 and 2007, we seem to squander it. Uh, do you feel that you, you guys have done enough to sort of keep that moment? Or uh, I think the moment, as something become natural, it becomes normal, but really natural. You don't have to, to, to plaster something over or talk around something. I'll take an example now, and uh, uh, this might be really specific. But if you take the two teams we've just played the past weekend, uh, I know there were some guys going to, but then the one team there were only eight players uh, of color. But then I said, guys, uh, please understand. We don't. We know we've got, uh, you know, we've got a transformation chart and everything. But just lo- use your logic. In the old days, it was a guy who comes on for the last four or five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and he sits on the bench. We now start with an ox and a bongi and a joseph, you know, and a Marvin already starts. And then we change the whole team. And then the other team, there's 10. And, you know, uh, so to stop counting numbers, you know, start mm-hmm. seeing that over the last two weeks, there's 17 guys that's been playing in the two different Springbok teams, you know. So, um, you know, if you stuck in the past, and I've got many Afrikaans friends, uh, ooh, 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 and I've got black friends, and I've got uh, the Spats Boykies, and I've got some of my army buddies, and some of my who, who just say, ah, yeah, you just, just dance into the pipes of your bait master. But shit, how do we win the World Cup? If I'm dancing to the, you know, how do we beat England and get Eddie Jones out of a job? If we are playing around, you know, who, who, can, who can do so well to not pick the best guys but win the World Cup, you know? And if that doesn't turn people's minds, that's why uh, I hope this doesn't cause some eruptions or big major blow-ups or anything. But that, that's why people must stop counting and, and, and just start seeing this is now natural. Mm. It's normal. Let it go now. We're going to go on now like this. You know, that, for me, that's a bit of a frustrating part when, when people still go, ah, mm. we catch you out. Well, there's nothing to be caught out. Yeah. On that score, um, you're obviously not going to be in the job forever. So that legacy or that that way of thinking, um, once you leave that job, how comfortable are you that what you leave behind, the next person will sort of tap into that frequency and and do the same thing and sort of attack that, no, that task with the same sort of vigor and alacrity? Look, me and David clicked from the, the day there, the Grendel, and I said to him, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go here because I can't tell you half-truths and manipulate you to write thinking books. Obviously, there's things in the book what, what, that, that 
It's just too personal. I mean, that, that wouldn't mean anything in any context for anybody that you're right there. But um, I said to him, and, and, and for me, World Cup's great. For me, it's like to win a Curry Cup. It's like to have captain Springboks. There's reasons why I said... Well, one game, Rashi, it could have been more, but you turned it down. Yeah, you yeah. You handled that in the book. Yeah, but... Oh, it's coming, the question's coming, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, what I mean, but what I mean is, for me, that's what you ask. That's for me of... I would, if I move on, and that's just another thing that collapses like that. That, that would be heartbreaking. And it's not because uh, I'm this fighter for what's right or wrong. It's... Uh, we we are uh, our systems working. I'm not just talking about EPD and transformation. Are are we using every single different background and culture and religion and knowledge and private school and guy from the spats and a guy from the village and you know, a guy who haven't opened a laptop yet and uh, and and we get those guys to to believe in each other and, and, and compete against the Euro and big rich countries like England, for me, uh, I'm nervous that that stop. Uh, and I'm, not because I'm going anywhere, but uh, because uh, sometime, and, and he captures you well, I almost feel that's a great thing. That's for me the thing. What mm. That's for me the nicest thing that has happened in the last couple of years. So what was interesting, if I just to add to that, was when I asked Rassi about holding up the World Cup, uh, how great a moment it was, he dismissed it completely. He said, no, the better part, the bigger enjoyment and satisfaction he got was watching these young players scoring the tries with the ease with which they did it. And these were the guys that people were giving him trouble about, saying, you pandering to mm. your political masses, whatever that might mean. But the players who are the subject of that are scoring these tries, mm. have come through EPD, or not Mapimpi, uh, but the fact is that they spotted Mapimpi as part of the Modi unit, this unit that went around and coached uh, when Rossi was at Sari the first time. And I thought that that was such a lovely answer and a lovely perspective that it's not about holding up trophies. It's growing the game and giving opportunities to people. But the important part as well that Rossi made, uh, and it's reflected in the book, is he'll create the opportunities. It's up to them to take them. And by and large, all of those guys took those opportunities. If you don't take your opportunity, you're out. But that's your problem, not his. Mm. I want to um, turn a bit to, which I, which I, I think in my mind, and I, I, I hope you confirm is. A, a moment that sort of almost changed your thinking in a lot of the ways was when you went over to Munster. Mm. Um, there's something about Munster, and I've, I've also been lucky enough to, to mm. be at Thorman Park and this is to stand up and fight. And, mm. and, and I want to ask you about the similarities between where you grew up in Dispatch mm. and almost the Munster way as they talk about it. And mm. I know you stayed in that beautiful place called Castle Connell, I believe, mm. yeah. that, that little pub over there, is, which is also is lovely. Um, but how did that change your thinking and your outlook on rugby, and especially with wonderful Springbok rugby? Yeah, the, the, the first thing that was nerve-wracking when I went there is, listen here, yeah, I almost gave up here yeah, on, uh, on, on oh, here we go again, we've got to make the same fuck-ups again. We're going to make the same mistakes again. I've seen this, I've been part of it. I've been part of those decision-makings, you know, and, and people don't like this, but... Um, in South Africa, you uh, you have to somebody whoever's the coach has to be protected. And when I say 
under streams that go north and south and other decisions. And I don't want to be politics, politics. I'm talking about things that can keep a coach away from thinking about the next line-out move and the next scrum move and the next... So that that's why it's so important to... Uh, when I was at the Free State in the beginning, I could just concentrate on coaching. Uh, he describes it really well when I moved from Free State to the Stormers to Munster. When I got to Munster... The first thing was for these people to accept. Here's a guy with a strong Afrikaans accent. He brings another guy with a strong Afrikaans accent. There's some words they can't even... But these guys accept us. And, you know, the head coach dies. And, and uh, we explain, oh, I don't know how they to handle it, how to do this. And how we got each other's trust. And how they actually taught me how to adapt to things they do. And then you think, you sit there and you think, but how... Why do these Irish people, are they just really good people? Um, why do they accept me? Why do they help me? Why do they take me and my family and jog his family in and just make us feel so comfortable? But we in South Africa grew and we've got hardship and everything together, but yet we just can't get a team together and mind each other and, and, and think about each other. And and that's what I learned. But, but listen, yeah, the people who who's not the right people. And there was great players there. Which was just the monster way. Listen, if, if, you, if you don't line and fall in, next man in, goodbye. And I think when I got back to South Africa, I, I just thought, but if those guys can do it with only 4 million people and not a lot of rugby players, and they still were so strict, they don't suck up to a player if he doesn't fall into line. Why can't we do it here with all the other problems we have? And yeah, and there are a lot of other things that, 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 that he uh, interrogated me to understand how did we do that and how did we handle that. Surely Munster taught me about precision farming, mm-hmm. really being professional, and they, they song, stand up and fight us, it's just a thing. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot like the Spats ones are just bigger and more sophisticated and everything works. But it's, it's working people. It's people that graft. It's people that get, don't get anything easy. Same with Cork, same with Limerick. Mm. To what extent did your experience in Munster shape the way you deal with media now? Because the, it's, it's almost day and night. Uh, Rassi Rasmus 2016 and before and Rassi Rasmus who came back from, from, from Ireland. Rasi Erasmus here in South Africa prior to 2016 was just stupid and, and, and ignorant or uh, naive. Before you go, I'm sorry. Uh, in fact, the week you left for Ireland, I had an interview lined up with you, 800 words in the Sunday Times, a big hole in the paper. That was left <laughs> by Rasi, who didn't do the interview, but you agreed to it. Yeah. Um, no, so that's one of the reasons why I brought up a question. No, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that I saw a media as the enemy. Uh, and and uh, again, you know, coming from the Spats, going to Bloemfontein, having Hendrik there or when George van Eck there, the only you know, newspaper guy, the Volksblatt, and you know, you can do your thing. You can put lights on the roof. Nobody say, "Oh, you." Everybody just supports what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Ex-players doesn't fucking go at you. They support the team. Actually, they they you know they they tell you this is wrong and this is right. But so, um, <laughs> what what is the question? So when I got there, now you suddenly see the media there in Limerick, but all these guys, and especially when Axel passed away, these guys really care. 
and you see, but the, the, the fans can't come to the training sessions and they only see Monster play on Saturdays. And you start realizing, but the only way they know what goes on in the team is by you guys telling them what's going on in the team. And if they only go on the result, you, you, you might have a very slippery road if you've got two or three losses in a row. And my eyes just went open and thought, shit, but he, he, he understood the role of media. I understood that because a lot of media in the past went on the sensational route, the, the ugly route, what's wrong, what do we... The cheap headline. Yeah, but then you get the guys who really just wants to report, yes, it's a scoop, yes, you want to have the inside line, but you want to actually tell the supporter what's going on. That's why you want the team before the other report, because you want to tell it first. And the moment the lights went on there with those media guys on that side, when I got back here, that's where Stronger Together started, you know, where... We give access, we do our job fully, we give you guys access, you guys report accurately and fans decide. So, uh, no, definitely, um, one of the things that I accept, uh, I was terrible at. Thanks for listening. And a reminder, you can find all the To The Last Drop podcasts on the Brendan Nell YouTube channel, iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.